Industrial Industries World Radio. What's up, guys? This is Industrial Industries World Radio, episode 47, and I am your host, DJ Glowing Ice. And in this episode, we are going to look at the movie Ghostbusters once again, but we are not going to look at it from the history, the timeline of it being made. We are going to go through the movie scene by scene, and we're going to uh, stop at certain points in the movie, and we're going to talk about some of the fun facts behind each scene. We're going to take a look at the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, how many suits it took to make Ghostbusters happen, the first meeting with Bill Murray and Sigourney Weaver and how that actually worked out behind the scenes, alternate endings of the movie that never made it that got basically written out in the early scripts, and also we're going to be talking about a newly recovered deleted scene that was just found and released on the 2019 re-release of Ghostbusters on Blu-ray. It's the Fort Detmering scene. With that deleted scene and a lot of other deleted scenes, we're going to talk about those after we go through all of these fun facts with the movie itself. So I am very ectoplasmatically charged, and I hope you are too, because this is going to be fun. This is going to be more of a laid-back episode, not the more straightforward historical look. We're just going to go at it at our leisure. So sit back and enjoy as we take a look at all the fun facts that I at least found interesting of the 1984 movie, Ghostbusters. We are now watching Ghostbusters, and the movie opens up to the New York City Public Library. And this is where the librarian, Alice, is pushing a book cart... And she makes her way downstairs to the basement to put books away. So as she walks through the aisles of books, books start to float from one shelf to another behind her. And then she walks past these small little drawers of the catalog card system. These little drawers start opening up and the cards start flying out of the drawers. And then the librarian, she gets scared. She's running through certain aisles of the library. The scene ends with her looking at the camera as she screams and her hair blows back. And then we cut to the title screen that says Ghostbusters. Some fun facts about this so far is that the basement of the library was actually filmed in Los Angeles. And some of these scenes were the first scenes filmed for the movie. They were done at the New York Public Library and they had to be filmed from 5 a.m. to 10 a.m. because the public library in New York opened at 10 a.m. So they had five hours to get the shots they needed done, which was quite the challenge because they had to get everything properly lit, even though in the early morning it was still dark, so they had to make it look like it was still during the daytime, so they had to properly light everything and filming it and then tearing it down before the library opened. In the earlier drafts of the script, the librarian was more of a bookworm-looking woman who was in her late 20s instead. Now, the effects of the books floating from one shelf to another, it cost $250,000 to create that effect. Now, here's a real cool one. The 
catalog card system, how they made the drawers open and all of that was that they had a fake wall behind the catalog card system where the effects team would push drawers out randomly. And then they had this copper tubing inside of each of these drawers that would pull out where it would shoot air out of it, which would make these cards fly out of the drawers. Weaver Hall is a fictional place and doesn't exist at Columbia University. And the real-life Havemeyer Hall was fixed up to look like Weaver Hall. Okay, we're moving on in the movie now, and we are at the scene with Peter Vankman and two student volunteers. They're being tested on how well their ESP is by guessing the shapes on the cards Peter is holding up. And each time the male student answers, Peter shocks him, even though he gets it right. So this was meant to imply that Peter was the skeptical one of the Ghostbusters. Just kind of like the smartass one of the group, basically. And then Peter's friend, Ray Stance, bursts into the room all excited to investigate the ghost at the library. So we got one fun fact about this scene is that the cards that Peter used in this scene, they're called Zener cards. And they were invented by Carl Zener in the 1930s for ESP experiments. And a deck of Zener cards contain 25 cards, 5 cards of each, 5 different designs. So the 5 different designs are a circle, a plus sign, a square, a star, and 3 wavy lines. Moving on, Peter Venkman and Ray Stantz meet Egon Spangler at the library And they investigate, picking up samples and also running into the ghost librarian, where they decide to run at it and get her, basically. So they catch it all on film, and the ghost turns into a crazy demon. The guys run out of the building scared, and that is that. So these scenes at the library, when they were first getting shot, this is when Sigourney Weaver and Bill Murray met for the first time. So, Bill's first impression to Sigourney was that he called her by her real name, Susan. Then he picked her up and he threw her over his shoulder and he walked down Fifth Avenue. Sigourney Weaver being over six feet tall, she uh, admired Bill Murray for being able to even do that. Harold Ramis wrote the line about Egon wanting to drill a hole in his head based on a proposed experiment by John Lilly. The Librarian Ghost was played by Ruth Oliver, and she was filmed at an effects studio and then put in afterwards in post-production. And to know where to look in regards to the ghost, Ramus, Murray, and Aykroyd looked at someone holding up a paper plate to know their mark. The Librarian Ghost was meant to yell quiet, but it just turned into a roar instead. And the shot of Egon, Peter, and Ray running out of the library took over 20 takes. And the reason was, was that some mishap would happen during the takes. There'd either be a lens cap that would fall off, or a prop would fall out of an actor's pocket. Okay, so then the three get kicked out of the university, and they come up with the idea to start a business. So now the guys are looking to set up shop at an abandoned firehouse with a real estate agent following them around. Peter and Egon are being logical, talking about how the place is run down, trying to get a cheaper deal. While Ray, he's running around excited to start the business, going down the fire pole, so on and so forth. And they wind up getting the place. 
So during the scene outside of the university, as Ray and Peter are handing off each other the same bottle of liquor, if you ever wondered what the liquor of choice was in that scene, it's Haram Walker Apricot Brandy. The exterior shots of the firehouse were of the Hook and Ladder 8 firehouse in New York City, and it was built in 1903 and is still in operation today. And the inside shots, the interior shots of the firehouse, they're filmed in Los Angeles, California at Fire Station 23. It began operation in 1910 but went out of use 50 years later in 1960. The firehouse interior was used basically as it was in reality. It was dusty but the crew added cobwebs for a little extra effect. The basement and upstairs shots of the firehouse are actually the basement and upstairs of the firehouse as well. So no other sets were needed for a firehouse. It was all used inside Firehouse 23 in Los Angeles. It's Industrial Industries World Radio's debut album, Songs and Skits of Seasons 1 and 2. All the songs you heard in the episodes are all here, like the uplifting It's Gonna Be Okay. Hey, 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 it's gonna be okay. Check out the hot and hip Rap Song 2020. Wiener Balls Rap Song 2020 Rap Song 2020 And don't forget the classic hit Fart in Your Face. I wanna fart on a guitar I wanna fart on a power bill I wanna fart on fresh fruit I wanna fart in your face All of the best songs and skits from the first two seasons of IIWR are right here. Industrial Industries World Radio's Songs and Skits of Seasons 1 and 2. Check it out on Spotify, iTunes, and anywhere else you can stream and download music. So after the filming of the scenes of the firehouse being dusty and uncared for, John Tecure and his team went in to make the firehouse look as it did for the later shots all cleaned up and in use and sparkly and shiny clean. Now cutting to a shot of the streets of New York and Dana makes her way into her apartment building where her neighbor Louis Tully catches her outside in the hallway and they have a little bit of a conversation as Dana then gets into her apartment with her groceries and Lewis locks himself out of his apartment. Dana turns on the TV in her apartment and sees the commercial for Ghostbusters as a business. And she then enters the kitchen to put her groceries away. Then eggs that are sitting on her counter start frying on their own, popping out of the packaging. Dana then notices and she hears a growl from the refrigerator. She opens the fridge to see a demon dog that growls Zool. Cut to the Ghostbusters outside of their firehouse as Peter is supervising a worker putting a sign up for them. Then the unmodified version of the Ecto-1, a black hearse, pulls up with Ray driving in it and Ray tells Peter he bought the car for $4,800. Alright, stop for some fun facts here. As the name Ghostbusters still wasn't legally cleared to use, the scene with the sign being put up was done with other signs as well with other potential names, 
such as one that they were really serious about, which was Ghost Stoppers. The actual apartment building that was Dana's apartment didn't have the eight stories extra that they needed in the film. So what they did was to make the building look taller and larger was that they used a matte painting and painted basically eight extra stories onto the building. This painting was then infused with the film to make the building look a whole lot larger. And also the shot from the building onto the street You'll see that there is a statue of a dog off to the side. Well, that statue of a dog is actually a matte painting as well. So, the set that was Dana's apartment, the hallway, and Lewis's apartment were all built as they were seen, with no shots being done elsewhere, different angles, or whatever. All of this was built on two sound stages at the Burbank Studios in Los Angeles. Alright, so the explanation on how the eggs fried on their own. These eggs were first scored with a small saw, and then they were plastered and repainted so they looked like they weren't scored, obviously. So when shooting, they were injected with air, so these eggs would break exactly where they were scored at by the small saw. So with all this air, this is what made the yolks pop onto the countertop and bubble up and all that good stuff. Now, how the egg fried on the countertop, well, it's simpler than you think. The countertop was basically serving as a hot plate, and underneath the countertop, the tiling, was uh, two propane burners that just uh, basically fried an egg. That's it. That was all there was to it. The shot of the Temple of Gozer and the Terror Dogs in Dana's fridge were done in post-production, which the dogs were done with a combination of stop-motion animation and also puppets for close-up shots. Okay, now we're hitting play again and we're moving on. Inside the firehouse, Peter Venkman and Janine Melnitz have a conversation. Peter walks to his office and Egon gets up from underneath Janine's desk where they talk about their hobbies. Dana Barrett enters the firehouse to hire the Ghostbusters about seeing the dog in her fridge that growled at her and said, Zool. Peter goes with Dana back to her apartment to investigate. Peter investigates Dana's apartment. He flirts with her a little bit. Then it cuts to a scene of the Ghostbusters eating Chinese on the second floor of the firehouse, their living quarters, basically. They talk about how the Chinese food is practically their last meal because they spent it with the only petty cash they had left, meaning, yeah, they're really quickly going out of business. Okay, let's hit stop. We got some fun facts here. And so Bill Murray's line about checking out Dana, instead of saying checking out Dana's apartment, that was an ad lib. It wasn't in the script. Now, in the scene when Dana enters the firehouse, and it shows the shot of Janine's desk and Peter Venkman's desk behind her, Whenever Bill Murray's head pops up when Dana approaches Janine and jumps over the gate, right when he pops his head up, look behind the gate in Peter Venkman's office to the left, right next to some cabinets. You'll see a crew member moving a little bit in the back there. So the scene with Peter Venkman investigating Dana Barrett's apartment. After a few takes, Ivan Reitman told Bill Murray to say something or do something. So what Bill Murray did was playing the few keys on the piano and saying, they hate this. So that was all ad-libbed, and needless to say, it wound up in the movie. So some of the ideas the actors threw into this scene, such as Sigourney Weaver saying, you are so odd, 
and Bill Murray confessing his love for Dana. Those were all their own ideas as they just wound up throwing in there while they were filming. All right, moving on. This is a big scene. Janine gets a phone call requesting the help of the Ghostbusters. This leads them to a hotel where the green ghost, Slimer, as we all know him today, is terrorizing guests. They find Slimer in the hallways of the hotel, and they ultimately catch him in the hotel ballroom while they also tear up the ballroom completely. Okay, some fun facts. The three arcades you see in the top floor of the Ghostbusters firehouse are Missile Command, Star Castle, and Star Gazer. Besides the hallway and elevator scenes in the hotel, the rest of the hotel shots were filmed at the Biltmore Hotel in Los Angeles, California. So the Ghostbusters meet a maid in the hotel hallway in which they uh, shoot their proton packs at her, mistakably. And uh, originally in the script, it was to be a bellboy, but during casting, it wound up being changed to a hotel maid. Frances E. Neely, the actress who played the maid, was told that there would be only a little bit of pyrotechnics on her cleaning cart, and when it went off, uh, it was a lot larger than she thought, and she wasn't happy, and her saying the line, what the hell are you doing, was actually directed towards the effects team about the much larger explosion than what she thought. So as the hallways in the real hotel weren't good for filming, the hotel hallways in the movie were from a reconstructed rich and famous style set from MGM. The set was built on stage 12 at Burbank Studios. And as I said before in episode 46, it's still worthy of repeating that uh, Ivan Reitman, he was the voice of Slimer. The ballroom scene where the Ghostbusters are trying to catch Slimer took three to four days to film altogether in the real Biltmore Hotel's ballroom. The walls in the ballroom were fake walls that were embedded with pyrotechnics and fuses, and they would light off on command as the Ghostbusters would shoot at them with the proton pack streams, as the proton streams themselves would be added in later in post-production. The shot when the Ghostbusters walk out of the ballroom and Bill Murray says, We came, we saw, we kicked its ass, had 10 different takes with Bill Murray saying something different every single time. Some of these alternate takes had Bill Murray saying, We came, we saw, we came again. I need a tall, cold one. And what a lot of fun. All taken care of. Okay, so moving on with the movie comes the first montage shot, which happens with the Ghostbusters catching ghosts from all over New York City. Ray gets an intimate meeting with a ghost where the woman ghost undoes his pants, and he gets a little lucky. There's also shots of Ghostbusters being on the front covers of magazines and newspapers as well during this montage. And then we cut to Winston as he walks into the Ghostbusters firehouse to get employment from the Ghostbusters, and become the fourth Ghostbuster. Peter meets Dana outside of a music hall to tell her what he found out about Zool and Gozer that was inside of her fridge. Back at the firehouse, Ray is showing Winston the containment unit, and Peter is told about Walter Peck from the EPA wanting to visit. During the montage scenes of the Ecto-1 driving around, Dan Aykroyd was the one driving it for the majority of the shots. 
A lot of newscasters turned down doing the fake news stories in the Ghostbusters because they feared that it would give them a bad look. All those doctored up real looking newspapers and magazines, Ivan Reitman kept most of them and he has them to this day. The photo of Ray, Peter, and Egon crossing the streams in the New York Post was a photo taken from when they crossed the streams at the end of the movie. So that photo in the Ghostbusters world was from the future. It didn't even happen yet. During shooting at the Rockefeller Center, there was a real security guard chasing after the Ghostbusters, getting them off the property. This shot didn't wind up in the actual movie, but at the end of the teaser trailer, you will see him jumping out from the crowd from the very back for a couple seconds. Randy Enos was the one who drew the caricatures of the Ghostbusters for one of the magazine covers. He was a friend of one of the associate producers who worked at National Lampoon's magazine. The announcer Casey Kasem was added in later on in post-production. They called him up, made a deal, and he showed up a day later. He did all of his lines, and it was put into the movie all within a day's time. The scene with Peter and Dana talking by the water fountain was the first thing filmed between Sigourney Weaver and Bill Murray. It was filmed at the actual Lincoln Square in New York City. They had to turn the fountain off when they were doing close-up shots so they could hear what the actors were saying, but in the longer shots, they turned it back on to make it look like the fountain was on the entire time. The ghost in Ray's dream is Playboy model Kim Heron, and all of her shots were done on a stage at Entertainment Effects Group. Alright, we're unpausing it, playing again. Walter Peck, who works for the EPA, enters the Ghostbusters firehouse and talks to Peter Venkman and asks to see the ghost containment unit. Venkman says no, and Egon, Ray, and Winston are in the basement, and Egon reveals he's concerned with how much paranormal activity is surging. Cut to the outside of Dana's apartment building as lightning is striking it and the demon dog's eyes and claws break from the statue that's perched on the ledge from the apartment building. And inside of the apartment building, Dana gets caught by Louis Tully, who is throwing a party, and invites her to come on in. She declines and enters her apartment. After a phone call from her mom, she sits in a chair, and the arms of demon dogs shoot out from inside of her chair and hold her down. And then the chair, holding Dana in place, proceeds to roll on its own into the door in the kitchen that is now glowing with light. Alright, let's stop right there. Just a couple fun facts here. The arms that were going to grab Dana were originally three different arms altogether. One would be a human arm, the other had a hook at the end, and the third was a green frog-like arm with suction cups on it. And also, the kitchen door in this scene was made entirely of rubber. Louis Tully is having a party in his apartment, and the demon dog winds up in the bedroom and crashes the party. Louis then runs from his apartment, screaming, running across the street, and climbing over a wall as the dog runs after him. He then ends up on the outside of the restaurant, Tavern on the Green. He bangs on the windows of the restaurant and everyone inside just stares at him and the shot ends with Lewis smearing down the wall as the demon dog gets him. This party scene was done in one long shot to keep the flow with Rick Moranis as he ad-libbed his lines the entire time. 
The tall woman in the party is Jean Kasem, the wife of radio host Casey Kasem. There was a puppeteer underneath the demon dog in the floor, and the facial expressions of the dog was controlled by six different people working together as one. The girl with the pink bow in her hair celebrating her birthday party at Tavern on the Green is pop singer Debbie Gibson. Alright, moving on in the movie. Peter Vankman, as he has a date with Dana Barrett, enters the apartment building and walks to her door. Dana, who is now possessed, advances on Peter and asks him to make love to her. Peter, knowing what is up, declines, and possessed Dana gets upset and screams demonically and starts to float above her bed. Alright, we're stopping there for a few fun facts. Ivan Reitman did the demonic voices of Dana when she started talking all deep and crazy. And when Dana lifted above her bed, it was actually done by a horizontal pole hidden in the drapery that lifted her up. She was then in a fiberglass body shell underneath her gown, and that gave the effect of her turning in midair. The camera was at an angle to where the pole would never be seen on the film, and then also uh, some lighting trickery was done as well. Alright, moving on now. Louis Tully is now possessed by the demon dog Vince Clortho, and is now running through the streets of New York looking for the gatekeeper. He is eventually caught and taken to the Ghostbusters firehouse where Egon runs tests to discover that he isn't 100% human and that he's possessed. Peter Vankman puts Dana to sleep and heads back to the firehouse. Ray and Winston are driving onto a bridge in the Ecto-1 and they talk about God and the end of the world. The scene then ends as the camera zooms out from the Ecto-1 as it gets onto the bridge and it overlooks the city as the sun rises. In the morning, Walter Peck shows up at the firehouse with the police and a utility worker with a cease and desist order. Peck and the rest head to the basement and orders the utility worker to shut down the containment unit holding all the ghosts. Hell breaks loose and a big gaping hole breaks out from the roof of the firehouse, emitting a pink beam of light, symbolizing the energy from all of the ghosts. Possessed Louis Tully slips away from the Ghostbusters as Peck orders the Ghostbusters to be arrested. And then we cut to the skies of New York as all of the ghosts are running free. All things become possessed in the city, including a taxi cab where a zombie starts driving it. Possessed Dana is now standing there, woken up, and her balcony explodes, and she stands there completely unfazed. Alright, let's pause it right there for some fun facts. The close-up of Ray and Winston having a conversation in the Ecto-1 was filmed in Los Angeles on a soundstage, where the shots of the Ecto-1 driving on the Manhattan Bridge was actually shot in New York City, obviously. When the containment unit was shut down and bricks and cinder blocks were being pushed out of the wall from all the craziness happening, it was actually done by effects members who stood on the other side of the fake wall and they jiggled and pushed the bricks out. And the effects that they used to make the containment unit just go crazy was just a combination of wind, dust, and bright lights. The shot of Slimer with all the hot dogs in his mouth as he pops out of a hot dog cart. Those hot dogs were made to scale and they needed to be made super large. 
So the effects team used liquid foam to make these really large and they modified it to look like hot dogs. The shot of the firehouse rooftop exploding was actually a miniature scale model of the firehouse. Adult film star Ron Jeremy makes an appearance in Ghostbusters as an extra, and you can see him after the firehouse explodes and Janine's walking outside and she says, yeah, it's a sign all right, going out of business. The scene right after that shows a crowd of people and you can see Ron Jeremy to the far left side. Just standing there, much younger Ron Jeremy. In order to make Dana's balcony explode, they made the balcony from balsa wood and breakaway glass. Inside of it were 15 air mortars filled with wet sand. Sigourney Weaver actually stood in the scene as the explosion took place. Alright, let's hit play and we're going to watch a little bit here. We're now at the scene of the Ghostbusters in jail with blueprints to the apartment building. And they're explaining to each other and the other inmates on how it's the hot spot for paranormal activity. So, during this scene, Ivan Reitman had to fire an extra as the extra was smarting off to him. Reitman said to him, You, out, and never come back. The scene was filmed in an out-of-commission and abandoned police station in New York City. Aykroyd claimed it could be haunted, and some of the film from the scene was scratched. But due to some editing work, they were able to save it and just work around it. They were happy about that because that was the one place they didn't want to go back for reshoots. And the blueprints used in the scene were actually the blueprints of Ivan Reitman's new house. Okay, moving on. Next, we see Louis Tully. He makes it back to the apartment building and he finds Dana in her apartment sitting down. Louis walks up to Dana and says he's the key master. Lewis and Dana kiss and then walk up the set of stairs where Dana's refrigerator was originally. Ghostbusters then meet the mayor and they convince him that they could save the city that is now in complete chaos. They are then seen in the Ecto-1 on the streets of New York being escorted by the National Guard and the New York City Police. They are headed to the apartment building where the coming of Gozer is taking place. They are met with a cheering crowd outside of the apartment building as they all scream and cheer for Ghostbusters. The Ghostbusters then shake hands with the crowd and they get their equipment on and looking up at the building at the sky, lightning strikes the building and the wind picks up and the street breaks up into all kinds of pieces forming pits that the Ghostbusters fall into. They climb out of the pit unfazed after the chaos ends and the crowd cheers as they enter the apartment. Going up the stairs, they make it to the 22nd floor and proceed into Dana's apartment and they go up the steps that lead to the Temple of Gozer. This is when they see the possessed Louis Tully and possessed Dana Barrett turned into demon dogs. Alright, here's some fun facts. The line of Bill Murray in the Ecto-1 saying, Come on, let's run some red lights! It had a lot of alternate takes, with Bill saying different things every single time. The shot of all these street scenes stopped up a majority of New York City traffic in Manhattan. The breaking up of the street and sidewalk scene cost $250,000. There was a lot of debate about if this scene was worth it, or was it even needed, but Reitman insisted that it did to show that 
the Ghostbusters did have their lives threatened in some way, so they rolled with it. Also, when you see the Ghostbusters fall into the pit, all of them are actually stunt doubles. The first three stories and the entrance of the apartment, along with the street, was recreated in a studio in Los Angeles. They did several takes of the street breaking up, and during each take they would retract the street back to normal and then cover up all the cracks with paste. And for what they used to break up the street in the first place was just a bunch of hydraulics. Everything else after the Ghostbusters climb out of the pit was shot back in New York. Also in New York, there was a police car cut in half to make the holes in the road look a lot deeper than what they actually were. The scene of going up the stairs in the apartment building was filmed at the Biltmore Hotel in Los Angeles, which had only two flights of stairs. So as the camera is looking up at the Ghostbusters as they're climbing the stairs, everything above the two flights of stairs was a matte painting, just to recreate the illusion that there were several flights of stairs. The zoomed out shot of the building as the Ghostbusters enter Dana's now demolished apartment was real, as the rest of the building and surrounding buildings and everywhere else was just a painting. And all of the rooftop shots were filmed at Burbank Studios in Los Angeles. Okay, moving on with the movie now. The Ghostbusters then see the Temple of Gozer open as she enters into the world. Ray then answers no when Gozer asks if he's a god. They are then attacked by Gozer and almost blown off the rooftop, but they hang on. They all then shoot at her with their proton packs and she jumps over them onto an altar by the edge of the rooftop. They all shoot at her again and then she just disappears. The whole apartment building then shook and debris falls everywhere. And especially down on the people below, the crowd below. Gozer's voice then comes from everywhere and roars over them and are told to choose the form of the destructor which Ray admits he chose the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man. Alright, we're going to pause it right there for some fun facts. So the set of the Temple of Gozer was on stage 16 in Burbank Studios. It was three stories high and cost $1 million to build. And it's one of the biggest sets ever built in Hollywood. In order to light up everything on this set... They had to shut power down from other sets in the studios to fully light the thing. They also had to rent every single power generator they could find in Los Angeles. The lightning effects were made from shooting clouds of paint into a water tank. Slavica Joven, the supermodel from Yugoslavia who played as Gozer, she had problems wearing the red contact lenses as it really hurt her eyes. But she was a trooper and she barreled on through regardless. Everyone found Slavica's natural Slavic voice to come off more comedic and not really as threatening, so her voice was to be overdubbed with a different voice. Six different types of voices were considered before they chose the deep demon female voice. The flips that Gozer does over the Ghostbusters was actually shot in post-production by a stunt double. The debris falling onto the crowd below was actually chunks of styrofoam painted gray to look like boulders. All of the earlier drafts of the script, only up until the final shooting, it was actually Winston that would think of the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man instead of Ray. Alright, back to the movie. 
So then cut to the Ghostbusters seeing the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man walking in the streets of New York City. He steps on a church on his way to the apartment building rooftop to get the Ghostbusters as they shoot him with their proton packs. The Ghostbusters realize that just the proton packs by themselves ain't gonna get rid of the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man. So as Stay Puff started climbing the building, they realized they have to cross the streams, which is a very, very bad thing. And they have to cross the streams and shoot into the door that swings both ways to reverse the particle flow and send a burst of energy right to Stay Puffed to blow him to smithereens. Okay, so fun facts about Stay Puffed walking on the streets of New York. Most of all the scenes of the crowd running away from Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man didn't see the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man. The director just told him, okay, you guys are all running from a big marshmallow man, so look scared and frightened. So all those cars crashing, people getting out of their cars and running away, that's what they were told. The Stay Puft Marshmallow Man was a real person in a suit that walked down a 118th scale city street of New York. All of the cars on the roads were actually remote control cars. And they picked up 100 remote control cars in all of the Toys R Us locations in Southern California. And they were all remote control police cars, but they chopped some up to look like regular cars, then some to look like fire engines, taxi cabs, and so on. It took several takes to get the remote control car to hit the fire hydrant and for the quote-unquote water to spill out, but... Another fun fact about this water shooting out of the fire hydrant, it was actually sand, and it was sped up to make the sand look more water-like, which worked very well. If they used actual water, though, it wouldn't fit the scale like they were trying to, so it would break up the illusion of it being an actual city, so that's why they used sand instead of water. When the Ghostbusters shoot down on to stay puffed, his red tie is missing. The head of the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man was a fiberglass skull with foam over it, and it had all certain different kinds of cables to give Stay Puffed different facial expressions. There were 18 Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man costumes made, and 17 of them were burned during filming, and each suit, depending on its variation, whether it was fire retardant or not, They cost between $20,000 to $35,000 each. Alright, we're going to hit play, and we are now at the final part of the movie. So, the Ghostbusters shoot their proton streams together, crossing them as they shoot into the door. This creates an explosion in which the guys jump out of the way in time to where it blasts the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man into Marshmallow Cream. This cream then covers the crowd below along with the Ghostbusters on the roof. And this explosion also bakes the two terror dogs to a crisp. The Ghostbusters then notice Dana Barrett and Louis Tully are alive inside the charred dog bodies. And they crack the bodies open to get them out. They then walk out of the apartment building to a cheering crowd as it's now daytime again since the black clouds have dispersed. And the Ghostbusters drive off into the sunset in the Ecto-1. And the last thing that we see out on the street is Slimer heading straight for us 
right into the camera, screaming with his mouth wide open. Fade to black, and the credits roll. Alright, we're gonna rewind that. While the video is rewinding, let's take a look at some of these fun facts to close out the movie. So the explosion of the apartment building was actually a scale model that was in a studio, and they did several takes of blowing up the apartment building to get the right shot they needed. The marshmallow cream falling down on everybody was actually shaving cream, and it was menthol shaving cream at that. So this led to a few people having a bad skin reaction afterwards. And Dan Aykroyd, he loved the shaving cream. He just kept asking for more and more. So when you see him in the movie, he's the Ghostbuster that is almost completely covered in shaving cream. William Atherton, the man who played Walter Peck, he gets doused in marshmallow cream in the movie, and before they were doing the shot, he looked at the bag full of shaving cream before filming, and uh, he asked, how much does all that weigh? And they said, 100 pounds. And he thought about it, and he was like, 100 pounds, regardless if it's shaving cream or whatever, that falling on me uh, may hurt me. So he asked for a stuntman to take the 100 pounds of cream and have it fall on him. And when the cream fell onto the stuntman, it basically threw him straight to the ground. So William was like, could you maybe take 25 pounds out? I'll do 75 pounds, but not 100. So they did, and that wound up being the shot of him getting smothered in cream right next to the Ecto-1 in the movie. There were two different types of proton packs for filming. The full screen ones, and then there were the stunt packs. And the stunt packs were used during scenes with shaving cream on them and when there were more physical things happening. If you notice Ray walking out of the apartment building in the final shot, he has goggles on his head, which he wasn't wearing any other time in the previous scene. As the sun was setting in New York, they only had enough time to do one take of the final shot in the movie, so they had to hurry it up and send the Ecto-1 off in the sunset. And as a way to get at the audience one more time, give them a nice little last scare, it was Ivan Reitman in post-production thinking about it, and he said, you know what, let's have Slimer fly towards the camera. So the idea of Slimer heading towards the camera coming at you was a very last-minute idea. Now that comes to the end of the movie, but there were some things in the original script at the end of the movie that got cut. So let's take a look at some of these alternate endings. Ghostbusters was then named Ghostbusters International, which became a huge corporation that was global. Egon and Janine go to Las Vegas to get married with Louis Tully serving as their witness. Winston arrives at the firehouse in a limo. And Peter and Dana hang out at Dana's apartment, and a baby chick hatches out of an egg in the kitchen. Also from a deleted scene at Fort Detmering, where Ray meets his ghost girlfriend, in an alternate ending, Ray heads back to Fort Detmering, and uh, yeah... So there you go, guys. That is your fun facts for the movie, scene by scene. So now let's take a look at some of these scenes that wound up on the cutting room floor. And they have been put in some of these DVD extras, Blu-ray extras. So let's take a look at these deleted scenes. Alright, we're getting into these deleted scenes. And I just gotta say, watching these deleted scenes were a hoot. 
they were a good time for me because I hardly saw the Ghostbusters movie in its entirety, let alone seeing any of these deleted scenes. So um, a lot of stuff is still being found. Some of these deleted scenes have just been recently uncovered and released. So yeah, this section of deleted scenes is still just an evolving thing. So let's start with the first deleted scene here. It's Peter, Ray, and Egon, and they're walking down the steps in the college that they work at, and Ray is talking about how he could win a Nobel Prize if he's able to capture a ghost. And the scene ends with them all walking into their lab that they have at the university. A fun fact about this deleted scene is that it took 17 takes to do, and it all wound up being cut anyways. This next deleted scene is a scene that Ivan Reitman found really funny and he wanted to keep it in, but he knew he had to cut it just because of time constraints and the pacing of the movie. But this scene was a scene where Slimer is first discovered in the hotel and it's a married couple who discover him as the husband gets out of bed and he walks to the bathroom and he just screams the wife follows, wondering why he's screaming, and then she screams, and the cut right there. The scene just cuts. There's also some cut scenes that are just basically extended scenes of, one, the dean kicking the guys out of the college, Winston sitting at Janine's desk as she handled phone calls, and also another extended scene of Peter and Dana talking when Peter is investigating Dana's apartment for the first time. There's a scene that was meant for the montage where a police officer puts a parking ticket on the Ecto-1 and the Ecto-1 uh, sets the parking ticket on fire and it creeps out the officer. There's a scene titled Bums where Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd are dressed up as bums walking around Central Park and they're debating on who the best fighter is between a boxer and a martial artist. Louis Tully, now possessed, runs past them and freaks them out. And um, yeah, this scene just kind of got cut because these ideas, even though they found them funny, it was meant to just add some extra commentary to the movie. But yeah, it just didn't work out because watching this scene, you could obviously see that it's Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd. And then we've got the famous Fort Detmering scene, which for over 30 years, was never released out to the public. In fact, I thought it was lost. I heard somewhere that it was just lost and they finally recovered it. But nevertheless, the Fort Detmering scene has finally been released on the 2019 Blu-ray edition of Ghostbusters, and we are now able to watch it and see what Fort Detmering was all about. So in the scene of Fort Detmering, Ray and Winston pull up in the Ecto-1 to the gate of the fort, and it's a nighttime setting, and the park ranger raises the gate. They've been bothered with disturbances of ghosts, so that's why they are called in, and Ray is taking the living quarters while Winston checks the armory. So Winston and Ray, they split up. The next footage of the scene cuts to Ray dressed up in an old-styled general's coat, that he found inside the room, and he's laying in the bed with an old saber leaning against the bed as he's reading a book in French. He says to himself, I don't even understand French. And then he immediately just passes out and starts snoring. 
And now as Ray sleeps, his ghost monitoring equipment start going off to the point where now a very, very pretty ghost is floating above him. And this is when he wakes up startled and his pants get undone and the ghost gives him a nice little favor. Then it cuts to Winston on the outside knocking on the door and asking if Ray's alright. And Ray just yells, Later, man! Fort Detmering scene was shot on a set that was already set up on stage 12. And the only thing they added to the set was the sign saying Fort Detmering and also the guard gate. This scene was intended to give Ray a love interest in the movie, which... In a cutout ending, he visits the fort afterwards to visit the ghost again. The reason this scene had to be cut was that it just slowed everything down. Much like a lot of these other deleted scenes, uh, most of it was just cut because of pacing uh, problems. But when they were putting together the montage segment, they realized they, they had some space they needed to fill. So, loving the Fort Det mirroring scene, they still kept a little bit of it and put it in the montage scene, which is what you see with Ray getting his pants undone and seeing the ghost. But in order to make this scene make sense in the movie, they shot a few extra scenes of the Ghostbusters sleeping in their firehouse, so it made it look like it was a dream, and Ray was dreaming of this ghost in this bed. A scene exists where Louis Tully is walking the streets of New York in search of the gatekeeper, and he comes across muggers who try to rob him, naturally. Louis then fights back and pukes slime on them, which makes them run away. Trivia about this scene is that it was filmed at MacArthur Park in Los Angeles, California. Before the Ghostbusters head to fight Gozer at the apartment building, a scene between Egon and Janine was cut. Janine gives Egon her lucky coin for good luck, and Egon replies, he may not be coming back, and they hug. Peter then tells Janine to not get involved with no Ghostbuster and to go home. There's a scene of Winston, before they get into the apartment building, suggesting that they should all just get on a plane and wait till everything subsides. Peter jokes to Winston that he was just about to give him a promotion, but then said he didn't know after hearing that. They cut this part out because they wanted the Ghostbusters to look more heroic at this point in the film. There's a small scene of Walter Peck going up to a police officer and asking if the Ghostbusters are on the rooftop. The police officer runs away and says, arrest them yourself. Walter Peck then sees the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man. After Walter Peck gets covered in marshmallow cream, a deleted shot of the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man's hat slowly floats down onto the street as the crowd cheers. The size of Stay Puffed's hat was 18 feet in diameter. And the last deleted scene is after Dana and Lewis break out of the shells of the burnt demon dogs. And now being unpossessed and back to their normal selves, Lewis, uh, you know, they're awoken and Lewis doesn't remember much. So he asks Dana, Dana, did we, you know, did, did we, you know, inferring, did we do it? And Dana looks at Lewis and she says, no, Lewis, no. Lewis is sitting there thinking to himself, I'm sure we did. And then Ray puts his arm around Lewis and he says, Hey man, you want to get a coffee? And mentions that there's more fish out there in the sea. 
So there you go, guys. Those are your deleted scenes. And now let's just get into some last fun facts before we hit the road. All right, so we got some fast fun facts. One was that the idea of the terror dogs burnt to a crisp. It was originally going to just have Dana and Lewis just transform back from dogs into their normal selves. But Ivan Reitman had this idea of them being stuck inside the charred bodies of these dogs to kind of have some suspense to it, to make people think, uh, are they actually dead? Did they die? So that was a nice little touch instead of the generic transform from dog back to human deal. The name Gozer is based on several things. There is a Gozer Chevrolet dealership in upstate New York, and it's also related to an actual haunting in England. The original Slimer suit has unfortunately become nothing but dust and was very poorly cared for back in the uh, vault of the studios, and nothing really exists of it anymore besides some finger caps. And for this last big fun fact, I just want to say some of this is rumors, but if you Google this, you will find a whole bunch of things claiming this. Now, you could go on BuzzFeed, you could go on YouTube videos from legit, like, channels and all that stuff claiming this, but I'm not going to pass this as fact. I'm just going to state that this is rumored and uh, just tell you now. So, it is said that... When John Belushi died, they went through a bunch of different choices as to who would play Peter Venkman. So, the Peter Venkman role was offered to Michael Keaton, Chevy Chase, Steve Gutenberg, and they all turned down the role. So, it, it got to a point where they were also considering Tom Hanks and Robin Williams as well, but I don't think they were... Uh, initially asked, but they were considering. And before they realized that Harold Ramis should play the role of Egon, they also offered the role to Michael Keaton as well, but Michael Keaton also turned down that role. All right, so that's it. Let's get into the Ecto-1 and ride off into the sunset. this episode of Industrial Industries World Radio does come to a close, I hope you enjoyed this episode and the last episode all about Ghostbusters and you learned a lot more and probably more than you ever needed to know about the movie. And yeah, it was a good time checking out this movie, really digging deep and seeing what was up all about it. Seeing what was all about it. So if you enjoyed these kinds of episodes and you want the history or fun facts on a certain topic, don't be afraid to email me at industrialindustriesworldradio at gmail.com. It's a long email, I understand, but if you don't want to write out that long email, you could also contact me on Facebook, We've got an Instagram, and we also got a YouTube channel as well. Just search Industrial Industries World Radio and uh, you'll find it. 
Thank you guys for listening. If you want to, it would mean a whole lot to me to rate this show on Apple Podcasts. Five stars. That pushes our show up into uh, more searchable things. So when people want to search on things and they come across podcasts that do things poorly, not like us, we do things great, we will be pushed up more so they get to enjoy these great episodes as well. So if you've done that already, thank you, and you haven't done it, uh, Christmas is right around the corner. That's all I ask. That's all I want for Christmas is a five-star review on Apple Podcast. So uh, thank you guys for checking this out once again, all of you diehard listeners and all of you new listeners as well just stumbled upon this. We've got a lot more fun ahead for other episodes in the future, so... Anyways, this was episode 47 of Industrial Industries World Radio. I am your host, DJ Glowing Ice, and I will see you next week for another fun-filled episode of Industrial Industries World Radio. Until then, have a great rest of your week, rest of your day, and I will see you next week. All right, peace out. next time on Industrial Industries World Radio.